Hi there. I am so excited to invite you to attend our fourth annual free virtual special education and advocacy conference. We are hosting it here at Ashley Barlow Company in partnership with Rebecca Poe Teaching. And we are so excited for a few new things at this year's conference. The first new thing is that we have not just one, but two different tracks for attendance. For the first time ever, we have created a track that is specific for school staff and teachers. We also still have that traditional track that we intend to be really great for parents and caregivers in the IEP arena. So yes, we have a teacher track and a parent track. On that teacher track, you are going to learn about things like easier data collection, gestalt language processing, behavior reading, and other super hot topics in special education practice, as well as advocacy. On the teacher and caregiver track, you're going to learn about stress management for caregivers using adaptive books, something that I have really kind of um, dove into here at my own house, inclusion advocacy, advocacy strategies, and so, so much more. That free ticket will give you one pass, one access to one presentation per hour on the track that you choose, either that teacher track or the parent track. Of course, if you are not available on January 19th or January 20th when the conference is taking place, you can buy tickets to access the conference on demand. And those tickets, of course, are available at our website, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference slash 2024. Check out the website for more information about ticketing. This year, we also have something super exciting planned. We have decided to make this a two-day event. When I partnered with Rebecca Poe Teaching, I told her that I really feel like school districts, disability organizations, and other community organizations need to start providing trainings that are accessible to teachers, related service providers, administrators, parents and caregivers, and other community members that are interested in IEP support. What if we all attended the same training? What if we all learned information about special education practice, curriculum, how to read evaluations, that kind of stuff, about special education advocacy, how we can collaborate more, how we can work together, and even about special education laws. What if we all attended those presentations and we workshopped them together? So together with Rebecca Poteaching, I have created the Empowered Workshop Series, and we are excited to bring it to your organization or school in 2024 and beyond. If you are interested in having Rebecca and I bring a workshop to you, you can see a preview of the Empowered Workshops on January 19th, the Friday before our main conference programming. For more information about that, either send me a DM or check out the website, again, ashleybarlowco.com backslash conference dash 2024. We hope to see you January 19th and or January 20th and can't wait to connect with you. Hi everyone, welcome to the Ashley Barlow Company podcast. I'm Ashley Barlow, your host. If you are a parent, 
a teacher or someone who works at a school, or you're a community member, a volunteer or a staff member at an organization that supports people with special education plans, a coach, a tutor, or even a grandparent, you're in the right place. Sit back with an ice cold glass of lemonade, put on your walking shoes and grab some headphones, roll down the windows and cruise. Ready, set, go. Educate, advocate, collaborate. Welcome back to the Special Education Advocacy Podcast with Ashley Barlow. I'm Ashley Barlow and I'm so happy you're here. Today we're going to talk about the question that I am asked most often in initial consultations. Today we're going to talk about conflict. See, we always get to this point in initial consultations. I've gone through the IEP, I've addressed the parent concerns, I've given a couple of ideas, and then we get to the point of the consult where I say, now we could do this consultatively and I can walk you through it and I can train you so that you can remain the face of your child's advocacy. Or if you want, you can hire me and I will be the face of your child's advocacy and we can do it this, 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 or this way. And every case is a little bit different. But in almost every single one of those consultations, the parents eventually say to me, well, Ashley, if we hire you, does that make it more conflictual? We don't want it to be conflictual. We don't want there to be bad blood. This is a small community. I teach in this school, whatever the factors are. And friends, I always tell my new clients or my potential clients this, conflict yields effective change. Now, before you hit the pause button, I want for you to know that I don't mean that adversarial conflict. I don't mean the kind that makes everybody feel mad at each other. I mean good, constructive conflict. And we're going to dive into that topic a little bit more today in this episode. I hope that you feel uncomfortable at the beginning. I hope that this is something that challenges you. But at the end of today's episode, I hope you also feel empowered to actually start to advocate in a way that changes things, in a way that helps the team move forward and ultimately helps the child do better. Before we dive into today's episode, though, I want to tell you that the Special Education and Advocacy Lab is open for enrollment now. The modules actually dropped for my students yesterday, January 31st, 2021. I am recording this on a very snowy day in Kentucky on February 1st, 2021. And you're probably listening the week of February 2nd, 2021, when today's episode actually loads. The lab will be open for another week. Now, what is the lab? It is a 10 session online training. That's right, it comes straight to your house and the total runtime is somewhere around eight hours. So I can train you in your own house, in your jammies, while you're doing laundry, start to finish in special education in eight hours. We start off with some legal foundations, we talk about parent rights, we talk about eligibility and evaluations, we talk about the IEP document. We have a whole module that's just about writing goals. And then we actually apply the goals and we talk about progress monitoring and data. We actually go into what specially designed instruction should look like. And then we end with the um, dispute resolution process, whether that's due process or mediation. 
So we go start to finish in special education in these 10 modules that take about eight hours to walk through. I really encourage you to check it out. Of course, there's more information on my website, www.ashleybarlowco.com. Check it out, tell your friends about it, and I'd really encourage you to also reach out to the organization that supports you. If your child has Down syndrome, call your Down syndrome association. If your child has autism, call your Autism Speaks organization. Call your International Dyslexia Association organization. I have organizations that are purchasing multiple licenses and using them to train their families together and to build community in doing that, and also just to gift them to families because organizations can oftentimes do that. I would love to talk to you or to anybody at an organization that you think would benefit from the lab. Again, hop over to my website to learn more. Now let's dive into today's episode on conflict. Oh, conflict. Everybody is so conflict adverse. But let me tell you something. If we all got along, if everything went hunky-dory all the time, we wouldn't get anywhere. Nothing would ever go. Nothing would ever change. Everything would be the same. And that's not the goal in special education. The goal in special education is to meet the unique needs of the child and to specially design instruction for each and every child. That is so, so important, friends. And so we have to address conflict a little bit. We have to express our opinions. I always start off in this conversation with my clients and potential new clients by saying our country is founded on healthy conflict. We have these three branches of governments with kind of the pseudo fourth um, branch that's under the executive branch with the administrative offices. Our legislative bodies have two different chambers, the House and the Senate. We have checks and balances throughout all of the cabinet and all the different working gears of our government. That checks and balances is, is intended so that people do disagree. Now recently, particularly in the last few years, our governments, whether it's state, federal, or local, have really started to get away from healthy conflict and have just kind of dug their heels in. And we see how ineffective that is. We see that that's not a good model. And so while it isn't the best example that I give to anybody anymore, I think the lessons that we're learning and people just sticking to party lines and people just sticking to their opinion and not listening and not hearing the other people on their team we see how detrimental that can be to government and to the people that are governed. And the same thing is true of any team. We as parents, teachers, related service professionals, administrators, and anybody else that sits on an IEP team, we're part of a team. And in order for teams to work, there has to be a little bit of healthy, constructive discord. We have to feel free to express our opinions, to express our experiences, our interests, our values. We have to feel comfortable expressing those things in order to feel heard and in order to get the buy-in so that the team really functions. 
Now, there is a book that I've read on this topic that I think is absolutely comprehensively amazing. The book is called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, and the author is Patrick Lencioni. The Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni identifies five different topics that he says are really the problems when teams aren't functioning well. And I'm gonna tell you what those five topics are because it really does seem to be true in special education. So when IEP teams are not working well, pursuant to the book, there is sometimes an absence of trust and that absence of trust comes from an invulnerability. There's a fear of conflict, which then yields some kind of artificial harmony which really feels bad. There's a lack of commitment, and then you kind of get this ho-hum ambiguity. Then there's an avoidance of accountability, which yields low standards. And then there's an inattention to results because people are so concerned with their own gain, with the status and the ego that come into the discussion. Let's walk through those different steps and let's plug the special education teams, those IEP teams or ARD teams or ARCs or PPTs or whatever you call them in your state. Let's plug those in to this framework. I think it could be really enlightening for you if you sit on an IEP team. Okay, so absence of trust. Here's a quote from the book. This comes from a lack of commitment and a failure to buy into to decisions and an unwillingness to be vulnerable with the group. This lack of trust then leads to a fear of conflict because if you lack trust, you can't engage in constructive conflict, which yields effective change. Rather, team members resort to veiled discussions and guarded comments. Yes. If we don't trust the people on our team, if we don't feel that we can be vulnerable on a team, then what we end up with is we end up with this fear of conflict because we're afraid of being judged, we're afraid of being wrong, we're afraid of the other people on the team almost retaliating against us. And this doesn't matter if you're a teacher or if you are a, a PT or a parent or a grandparent on the team, Everybody feels this at some point or another. Remember, teachers answer to their higher-ups, and the higher-ups that are on IEP teams are typically in what I call middle management. You know, there's a superintendent that answers to the school board. The school board are the big cheeses, the grand fromages, but even the superintendent has to answer to them. And then you've got the maybe um, assistant superintendents and directors of special education, and there might be several of them and there might be a hierarchy amongst them. Then you get down to the principals and in some bigger districts, even principals or directors of special education are not the people that actually get to make the decisions. It comes down to some kind of meeting chair. And so there is this hierarchy and everybody feels like they might get some retaliation if they're actually vulnerable. And so my tip for facing that vulnerability is just to simply say, you know what? I'm going to be vulnerable and I'm going to talk about how I feel. Now, you know that I like to add objective information. And this is why it's so important that you keep objective information at home. 
that you take progress monitoring data, that you empower yourself with the information about the data that comes from school and from other sources, that you also use objective information logs, that you're keeping journals or um, charts or videos or something like that so that you are explaining your opinion and you're being vulnerable, but you're doing it with real concrete information. That feels way easier to communicate than when you say, oh, I don't know. I just feel like things aren't going very well. That is not the kind of vulnerability that's going to lead to effective change. You got to come in with objective information. And by the way, it's way easier to be vulnerable when you have that information. But there's still a vulnerability even with the objective information, and that is so important to getting to the conflict part of the discussion. We have to get to the conflict part so we can say, you know what, my experience is different, my interests are different, my values are different, and I want to talk about those, I want to be heard. So the second dysfunction is that fear of conflict, which yields some kind of artificial harmony. And that, friends, is something we can all agree happens on Teams. You see people around the table kind of close their lips, raise their eyebrows, and shrug with a, hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, okay, that'll work. Everybody just kind of says, hmm, yeah, that works. And if you pay attention, you really see people's body language saying, I completely disagree, but it's not my place to say no. And that does not help the child. We are there for the child and we need to help the child at all times. We are put on this team so that we together can collaborate to make the plan, the individual education plan, the P and IEP is plan, the I is individualized, education plan for the child. And so our team is there to make that plan. Here's a quote from the book on conflict that I think is so helpful. If we don't trust one another, then we're going to engage, then we are not going to engage in open, constructive, ideological conflict. And we'll just continue to preserve a sense of artificial harmony. I would trade false harmony any day for a team's willingness to argue effectively about an issue and then walk away with no collateral damage. And that's what people want. They don't want collateral damage. And so what we have to do is we have to argue. We have to bring our thoughts in, our interest in, our values in, in a non-biased way. And the secret to that is the objective information that I preach. Talk about the data. Talk about what the experts say. Talk about the, the stuff that you've recorded in logs and journals. When you bring real stats in, when you talk real information and you just don't say, you know, I don't like that aid. And so I just think she needs to come off. I think she needs to come off the child's plan. By the way, that's not an IEP decision in most states or in most school districts. But let's say that's something that people come to me oftentimes with. And I say, okay, well, we can address that. That's a staffing thing. So we need to know who talks about staffing. And maybe that's the principal. 
So we go to the principal and we say, we don't say, eh, we just don't like the aide. We think that they kind of butt heads. We're gonna go in and we're gonna have a log and we're going to say, okay, so we got this note from the aide on Monday and the note said this. And so we communicated back and we said this to try to fix it. But then on Tuesday, the same thing happened because then on Tuesday, we brought him this, this piece of paper where the aide had done it again, whatever it is. And so then we communicated back and this time we also sent it to the teacher because we thought maybe the teacher could talk to the aide. And so we're telling our story, but we're telling it with facts. We aren't just saying this aide is not compatible because that kind of advocacy doesn't work. And yes, it takes a little bit of conflict. It takes you standing up and saying, I don't agree with this, or I think this could be better. But if we don't engage in that kind of productive, ideological, constructive conflict, it's gotta be constructive. It can't just say this is stupid or I disagree, we have to get to the what, the why, the interest behind that position, then that's how we get away from that artificial harmony. Now the artificial harmony leads to a lack of commitment. Why? Because people have to feel safe to state their opinions and to be heard. Really, when you get down to human nature, I love this part of the book. The author says, we just really need to be heard. We just really need to express ourselves and to say, this is how I feel. And then as a team, be okay not winning. This is how I feel. Does anybody else feel this way? Could anybody else address my concern, my statement, my experience? Could anybody else express this? And one thing that parents oftentimes think is they think that nobody else is experiencing their experience. And friends, sometimes that's true. Children express their competency. They show their progress differently in different environments. And so, yes, it might be true that a child has completely, a completely different experience at school than they do at home or than they do in the community. And you've seen that, you've seen how well your child does with a tutor and you try to do the exact same information, the exact same activity. You even go to Amazon and buy the toy and it doesn't work. And you're like, well, you just did this in therapy. Different environment, different people, different rules, different time of day, different meal before it. Look at all the antecedents. Look at all the environmental factors to every single thing. So it's very important that we express our opinions and our experiences so that we can kind of get down to the heart of how we generalize skills. Why aren't we doing that? Why is the child not doing a skill well at home that he or she is doing well at school? If we don't ever talk about it, nobody knows that those experiences happen. And that's where we get the ambiguity that comes in with kind of that lack of commitment. So if we don't have a commitment, if we don't have that conflict, everybody kind of has this artificial harmony of like, meh, okay, that works. And then things get ambiguous because you haven't teased them out. You gotta tease them out. This is why when I'm looking at, for example, progress monitoring data, I ask lots and lots and lots of questions. How are you going to monitor progress? How often are we going to monitor progress? What does your rubric look like? Could we break it apart even further so that we can look at individual skills? I ask these questions because we gotta tease it out. 
So I try to look and see even what the problems might be in the future when I look at a proposed goal. I do this so that we can have the discussion and that way it's not ambiguous. We know what we're doing. Consensus, the book says, is an attempt to please everyone, which usually turns into displeasing everyone equally. You know how that happens? You know, like particularly in eligibility meetings, people say, well, okay, so we were looking at specific learning disability or we were looking at other health impairment because the child has um, ADHD and the child has dyslexia. And instead of having a really good hearty discussion about which disability category is best, or instead of going from eligibility and saying, yes, we agree to the actual services that are on the IEP, instead of having a real hearty discussion about what reading program is appropriate for the child, everybody kind of says, well, I mean, sometimes we do this and I haven't really looked into that, or, I, you know, a lot of times I have um, teachers on IEP teams that will say something like, I've never had a child do that program. And then there's this dead silence and everybody's like, okay, we don't have any information. Nobody has an experience. And so what I oftentimes say is, okay, well then we need more information. So if we haven't ever experienced it and we think it might be appropriate for this child, we can't make a decision in a vacuum of information. We can't make a decision with no information. And if you haven't experienced it, we need somebody on this team next time that has experienced it so that we can consider it fully. We need the information. Now, if the information comes in and it conflicts with something else or it disagrees with something else or it is uncomfortable, then we'll work through it. That's okay. That's good because it might make us think about something differently. It might make us think outside of the box or approach it from some different angle or just say, okay, yeah, that's right. That doesn't work. Nope, move on. What could we do next? And those are all important things to decision-making, but we don't just want to please everybody. How is that helping a child? to just say, yeah, well, this is what everybody else does. Or if you haven't experienced it, then we must move on to something different. That doesn't help the child because it closes a door, it closes an option. And so we need the information so that we don't get this kind of ambiguous, like, well, that didn't work. And so-and-so didn't really kind of shot down this idea with no discussion and nah, lack of commitment that leads to ambiguity and nobody gets a buy-in. We have to get the buy-in to everything. This happens a lot in behavior. So sometimes I have a child that we just definitely need to do an FBA on. We, we don't have enough information. We need that ABC data and we need good information. And so we'll go ahead and we'll agree to an FBA, but an FBA should take a while to do, at least a few weeks, maybe even a couple of months. And so what are we gonna do in the middle in order to support the child? What are we going to do while we wait for the FBA? What kind of information do the people on the ground, do the troops on the ground, the teachers in the classroom, 
what kind of information do they need to support the child while we're doing the FBA, while we're doing the evaluations, while we're taking the ABC data, while we're playing around with those consequences in the ABC data, what do we need to do? Well, what I do is I have parents bring in information, examples, pictures, lists of things that work, and not just, oh, we do first then, and we do picture schedules, and we do um, token reward system. Not just those three things. I wanna know, what does your first then look like? So many people implement first then differently than one another. So I think most professionals would say that a first then board has a first little bit of work, then little bit of reward. So first we're going to do two papers, then you get to play with Play-Doh. That's the way first then works. But I've had teachers say, oh yes, I use first then, it's first math, then science. Well, that's a lot different in a lot of ways. First math could be a half an hour's worth of stuff. And if this child is only used to getting a 15 minute task in their first, first one math paper is significantly different than first all of math. And so we need to know how it differs than what the child experiences and the things that bring the child success. And if we say then science, well, that's very different than the reward. If the then should be a reward, if the then should be the preferred task or activity or tangible item or whatever it is, then we need to know how that works for the child. And so the parents might say, oh, well, they use first then, everything's fine but it's so, so different that it isn't first then. And if we don't have the discussion around it, if we don't say, now how do you implement first then? And there's a way to ask questions that aren't adversarial. I'm not saying anything about, well, you don't use first then correctly. That's the adversarial way to do it with these accusations. Of course we don't do that. We ask questions. It might feel a little bit uncomfortable. Somebody might feel like you're saying that they're doing it incorrectly, etc. But there's a way to say, oh, well, what our therapist explained to us is that first then should be done this way. And then here's how we also use the picture schedule. And here's a picture of our picture schedule. So we're bringing the information in in a non-adversarial, information-rich, objective way. And that's the key to keeping the adversarial kind of conflict out of your meeting. So it's okay to reach the consensus so long as everybody buys in. But everybody on the team has to make sure that everybody's ideas are considered and that they're addressed. So even the most wacky things, and sometimes I say, I'm thinking out loud, what about if we did this? And everybody can say, no, 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 no. And I have to feel comfortable saying, okay, yeah, I see what you're saying. Thank you. I asked, I asked a question and I didn't know if the answer was going to be yes or if the answer was going to be no. And I am okay with no. I am also okay with yes. And I'm okay with everybody else at the table saying no and me still saying, okay, well, how could we think about that differently? What else could we do in order to turn that no into a yes by thinking outside the box? You know, attorneys always say no doesn't mean no. It means how could we think about it differently, <laughs> which kind of makes everybody crazy. Teams should eventually come to the consensus. They should eventually work it all out, discuss it, tease it out, use that objective information, not rhetorical stuff, not hmm, nobody's ever said that. And so I don't know. 
That's like talking to a teenager. Then you just kind of stare at one another. That's rhetorical. But when we can tease it out and we bring all the information in and we can actually come to a consensus, then we get the buy-in. And that is awesome. So once the commitment is established, then the team has to work to hold everybody accountable. If we don't hold everybody accountable, we get these low standards. This is why it's so important for parents to be really involved in their child's education. This is why it's important to have the information, to know what you're looking for, so that you can ask questions to hold everybody else on the team accountable. Now in the book, The Five Dysfunctions of the Team, the author uses a corporate group as the example. And so what he says is, accounting guy, you're not just in charge of accounting. I don't know what they're called, CFO, or I don't know. I'm not, an, I'm not a business person. I run two businesses, but I hire people to help me with that because I know my weaknesses. <laughs> so let's just call him accounting guy. You're not only in charge of accounting. And marketing lady, you're not only in charge of marketing because accounting and marketing, they work together. And our entire team makes this business successful. And so we have to support one another and we have to hold one another accountable. And so we have to rely on our shared experiences, our own expertise, our interest and values, what we've designated as the um, life course or the chart for this organization. And together as a team, we have to figure it out. And so sometimes you might disagree with something on a team and you might like let it go because you don't want it to cause waves. But without the commitment, without actually saying, yes, I can do that, I can help, then even the most focused and driven people hesitate to call out their peers on actions and behaviors that seem counterproductive to the good of the team. That's a quote from the book and it's so true. Parents oftentimes remain distance and that distance looks like complacency. You know, they sit back and they're like, mm-hmm. And then they come to me or they go to an advocate and they say, it was awful, it was the worst meeting. And I say, well, did you ever say, mm-hmm? That's the problem. If you don't say anything, nobody knows that you're sitting there complacently <laughs> and that you don't agree with something. And so the only way to get out of that is to speak up, is to express your concern. And you see how if you just say, mm-hmm, then the school might say, mm-hmm, yeah, I guess that'll work. We do this a lot with dyslexia instruction. Well, you know, we, we can probably get by with this computer program. We don't need somebody that's trained in Orton-Gillingham. Or we can probably get by with this teacher that bought some stuff for Orton-Gillingham on the internet, but yeah, she's never been to, you know, an extensive OG training. She, she's talked to some people that have been, but she's never really had that experience, the real training. But believe me, the materials are really great. What happens when we do this, if the parent says, mm-hmm, or if the OT or the speech therapist and everybody else who knows that that's not a good idea, or who feels that that's not a good idea, who needs to tease it out in order to buy in, then the speech therapist who supports that dyslexia goal because of phonological processing, 
is going to be like, well, I mean, they're using some program from Teachers Pay Teachers. I knew it wasn't going to work. So, eh, I mean, we'll just sit over here and we'll keep blending these letters. And I don't know what they're doing over there. And so it lowers the standards. And parents say, eh, I mean, I knew that school thing wasn't going to work because our tutor, our private tutor, does this, 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 and this. And it's been working since first grade. And so, I don't know, I've kind of given up. I don't care if they go or don't go. I don't really even know what's happening. That doesn't help the child. The child then has low standards across the board being implemented relative to the child's IEP, and that is ineffective. And then the worst thing of all is the fifth dysfunction of the team that's addressed in the book. And that is when we get this inattention to results because we have low standards and then nobody cares. Special education is based on the idea that the child should make progress, meaningful progress. And the data should drive the instruction. So if something isn't working, if something is, if the child is not making meaningful progress, then we should change up that specially designed instruction. We should make something different. We should change it up. We should do some other teaching strategy. If we're using manipulatives, we need to make it more visual. If it isn't super active, then we need something active. We might need something to warm the child up first. We might need a behavioral strategy. What do we need? It's not working. How can we change it up? the instruction, the environment, etc., in order to help the child make progress. But what happens if we have these low standards, then we get this inattention to results and, and somebody wants to be right. So then our speech therapist says, I knew it, I told you all that, and now I'm not gonna help because I wanna be right. And the next meeting I wanna go in and say, I knew we needed a real OG therapist. I knew that we needed somebody, somebody that was trained in Orton Gillingham. And so I win. My knowledge is superior to everybody else's on the team. Well, what that does is it puts all the focus on that speech therapist and none of the focus on the child. Now we've let the child fail because somebody wanted to win the IEP. The only person winning the IEP should be the child. When we become more concerned about ourselves, and parents do this all the time, I knew it and I told them. And I'm keeping records to say, I knew it and I told them. That probably comes from a feeling somewhere along the, the IEP team of adversarial conflict, of that non-constructive kind of conflict, I told them but we didn't get any buy-in, nobody's being held accountable, and so now I wanna win. And that is not effective. That doesn't keep it child-centered. So the quote from the book and this one that I love is, the team's job is to make the results that it needs to achieve so clear to everyone at the table that no one would even consider doing something purely to enhance his or her individual status and ego. That's why we have the IEP. It is set out to make the goals very, very, very clear. There's nothing to prove. Another quote, the key is to define our goals, our results in a way that is simple enough to easily grasp and specific enough to be actionable. 
The law provides this for us. We have an IEP that's supposed to be um, results-based. It's supposed to be specific, but it's also supposed to be clear enough and in a language that parents can understand. That's one of the parent rights. Friends, this is the key to taking the adversarial feelings and all of that collateral damage that you're afraid of out of the meetings and actually having good, healthy, constructive discussion. I hope it's helpful. We talk a lot about these concepts when we talk about communication and other advocacy tips in the lab. This is what I preach day in and day out. I know you can do it. I know that it's hard work and that it takes a little bit of extra time, but being proactive with that time and actually having the discussions, those good, hearty, constructive conversations, those conversations will save you so much time in the long end and it will absolutely benefit the child. I hope it works for you. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I'll see you again next week. Same time. Have a great week.